2: Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios.
1: There are very few people who, even if you rarely see them, stay close to your heart. For me, it's Wolfgang Puck. I'm often asked who inspired Rose and I when we opened the River Cafe, and the answer is Wolfgang. Before he created Spago, the choice for choosing a restaurant was eat delicious food, But be sure to dress up and be prepared to feel intimidated by the sommelier chef or just the atmosphere in the room or eat less well but go out and have fun in a lively exciting friendly place with spago wolfgang taught us we could do both and he turned the world upside down he made pizzas luxurious airport food delicious wood ovens for cooking and took chefs out of basement kitchens so diners could see them and they could see the diners Wolfgang is legendary for being generous with his knowledge, teaching, inspiring, and mentoring young people who wanted to be like him. A few months ago, he came to the River Cafe for dinner with his family. To everyone working there, it felt like a visit from the gods. For me, it was a visit from a man I love but rarely see, a man who is close to my heart. Thank you. I have asked everybody who's been on to read a recipe from a River Cafe book that they like, but I would rather read a recipe from your book, and okay. that recipe is for what we call Chicken Spago, and I think in your cookbook you call it Chicken with Garlic and Parsley. Do you want to read this recipe? All right. Go on.
3: Let's go with our Chicken with Garlic and Parsley. This entree has been on the menu at Spago since we opened. It continues to be one of the favorites, and we still make it for special people because I... <laughs> As a souvenir, really. Okay. Take two whole chickens, about two pounds each. Two small heads of garlic, separate into cloves and peeled. Quarter of a cup of parsley leaves, salt, freshly ground, white pepper, two tablespoons of unsalted butter, and the juice of a large lemon. Halve and bone the chickens, leaving the first wing joint intact. In mm. a small saucepan, blanch the garlic cloves in boiling water for a minute. Cut the garlic into paper-thin slices. Toss in a bowl with parsley and season. Stuff a little of the garlic mixture in the pockets underneath the skin of the chicken breast and tights. Transfer to a large plate. Cover and chill until ready to use. Grill the chicken 7 to 10 minutes per side or just until the pinkness disappears. Do not overcook. Heat the butter in a sauté pan and in it gently sauté the remaining mixture of garlic, lemon and parsley add lemon juice and season well
1: nice nice do you remember writing it
3: I remember when I where did it where were you where uh, were you so it was the first cookbook it was a Mamaison cookbook yeah the second cookbook was up at Spargo hmm. so I did that and I think that was in 86 or something like that when I wrote it and it was interesting because when it came out I you know people didn't really know me that well in LA yeah. yes yeah. and There was an agent named Mike Ovitz. Of course. He founded CA. And so he came with his wife and Michael Eisner and Jane Eisner. They came for dinner. And I think it was Judy Ovitz's birthday. So I gave her a cookbook and signed and said, Happy birthday, Judy. And Mike said, Wolfgang, how come I don't know about that? I said, Mike, you are a big agent. You represent Paul Newman and uh, Barbara Streisand. What are you going to know about a cookbook? And he said, where did you promote it? I said, well, we did some shows like L.A., and the morning show in L.A., and some radio shows and things like that. And he said, you have to promote it nationally. And I said, mm. yeah, I, they tried to. My PR person tried to get me on Good Morning America or the Today Show. And then uh, they said, no, 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 we have Julia Charles. We don't need you. We don't need another a cook on the show. Yeah. And he said, what, well, that's crazy. So he called up the vice president from ABC, he flew up out a few days later. They came to the restaurant. I cooked a menu for them. I cooked a dinner for them. On a little napkin, on a paper napkin, he signed a contract with ABC. Really? So I do once a month Good Morning America. So So from then and on, I was on that TV. That
1: was the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Well, you mentioned Julia Child. Did yeah. you ever meet her? i, I met know... Julia
3: Child many you times. You know she well? was a very good friend oh, really? of mine. Did yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I really loved her, and she was really funny. And I yeah. told her... That uh, story about, you know, yeah. we did a, a, a symposium or something, and yeah. she said, Yeah, Wolfgang, and since you're on now, they don't want me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do on the AP? What did you, okay, did you... I made the most complicated <laughs> thing. We had a producer on Good Morning America, Sonia Selby-Wright, an English yeah. lady. Yeah. And uh, she was very good friends with Julia. Yeah. And uh uh, she actually didn't want me to be on the show. Or she wanted Julia. No, she, no she wasn't very happy. Yeah. And I made crazy things. Like I made, I showed people how to make a simple chocolate souffle. Yeah. But nice. you have to time it nice. just perfectly yeah. because yeah. you don't have... You You're
1: only have it live on TV. Live on yeah. TV.
3: You only have five minutes. Yeah. So you have to put it in the oven at the right time yeah. and then hopefully, you know, yeah. everything goes well. You take it out and it looks good and then the did, segment is over. Did you have
1: disasters? Over. Julia dropped, famously dropped a chicken on the floor. Yeah. But did you have disasters or was it pretty... You know, pretty I never okay?
3: really had yeah, you, bad yeah. things happen. Yeah. I just was yeah. so nervous. At that time, they had David Hartman uh, was the host, you right, know, right. and, and he was like six foot five tall and talked to Wolfgang, mm-hmm. What are going to cook for mm-hmm. me today? And mm-hmm. I started to shake. Yeah. And I was nervous seeing all How the old cameras. Oh, I was already old. Tiny. Yeah. No. I had already, Spago was open in my 30s. Yeah, in yeah. 30s.
1: That's yeah. young. That's young. Yeah. But yeah but pretty today young. for
3: me, everything uh, is really young. young. <laughs> I know. So
1: going back to youth and young, tell me about your family. Did you grow up with good food? You know, you? it's
3: very interesting. My mother was a chef, a professional chef, but no, she didn't own a restaurant. She worked for a small hotel on a beautiful lake in Carinthia, which is the southern part of Austria next mm-hmm. to Italy and Slovenia. Mm-hmm. And so she was a good cook and my stepfather was mm-hmm. a coal miner and totally crazy and alcoholic mm-hmm. and everything. And my mother was like an angel. I don't know um, how the ying and the yang yeah, get yeah. together, but yeah. it's uh, impossible. And... So I went to school, and in the summer, I went to see my mother on the lake there and helped her in the kitchen sometimes. And then uh, I went swimming, and I picked up tennis balls. There was a little tennis club next to the hotel, and I made a little money. And then when I was 14, I had to decide what to do.
1: Because the school made you...
3: Yeah, the school finished at 14. I was Mm, finished with school. And uh, we didn't have the money to go... To Vienna, to study. I actually wanted to be an architect.
1: Did you? Yeah.
3: But then we didn't have the money to go. So then my mother found me a job as an apprentice in uh, Fila.
1: Can I just ask you about your father?
3: My father actually was very wealthy. My mother was working for a doctor in a small town. But for a small town here, the Mercedes, like after the war, you know, in 1948, 49, 50. So his mother, my father's mother, told him. he cannot marry my mother because my mother came from a poor, poor background family. my yeah. my grandmother was working in the fields for a farmer you know yes. so right. he didn't marry her
1: oh he never married he her he
3: never married her so my mother then uh, went back started to work in restaurants right. and i was saying and i was a little kid my yeah. grandmother was taking care of me yeah. so then my, my stepfather I as i got wouldn't, to,
1: wouldn't let you be a yeah
3: yeah my stepfather said cooking is not a profession for Men, you should be a carpenter, or you should be a mason, or you should be a mechanic, or whatever. Cooking is for women. And he said, you're good for nothing, because I hated to help him and everything. So I still remember when I left, which was 50 miles away, where I was starting my apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. When I was 14 years old, I went to the train station with a little suitcase. And then I... uh, Take the train. And as I was walking out the house, he said, oh, you're good for nothing. You're going to be back in a month and then cry for money and everything. And I said, I'm never coming back.
1: At age 14? At
3: 14, yeah. And then I go there. I started my apprenticeship. And the chef there was as crazy as my stepfather. Uh So I went from one to the next. And, uh, you know, what, what do you do? What as did a f- he
1: do? He was what, in the kitchen. He in was the
3: kitchen, yeah. He was drunk all the time, too, and screaming like crazy, throwing things like crazy. Like, it happened in the old time more mm-hmm. than you yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And so, like, three or four weeks into my apprenticeship, on a Sunday, Sunday lunch was always the busy day, and I was doing the potatoes and making the mashed potatoes. That was mm-hmm. like my job, mm-hmm. and peeling onions and mm-hmm. carrots, washing the spinach. And we ran out of mashed potatoes. We ran out of potatoes. At the end of the service, he screamed like crazy. Oh, you're good for nothing. We'll go back home. So he told me, okay, you're fired. Go back home to your mother and everything. And I said, I cannot go back home with my special... With my father. stepfather, yeah. So that was probably the worst day in, in my life. life. So I went on the thing and I said, I'm going to jump in the river and kill myself. Mm. And I was 14 years old. You know, I did not say, I said, I cannot go back home. So I was standing on the river there, looking down and said, what will happen if I die? You know, what is heaven or what is hell or what? And it was all these thoughts were going through my head. And then after a while, I said, you know what? I just going to go back tomorrow and see what happened so I went back, back to, to the restaurant back to the restaurant so I I went I couldn't sleep all night I went really early to the restaurant then the apprentice who was above me came and saw me there I said oh you're back he mm-hmm. was so happy he said I don't have to mm-hmm. peel potatoes so he mm-hmm. hid me down in the vegetable cellar and uh, I was peeling potatoes there and after a few weeks the chef comes down and sees me there and starts screaming what are you doing here he said get out of here and screamed and everything and then I said I'm not leaving I'm not leaving and then he called the owner. The owner was a little had a little more empathy, and uh, sent me. To, they had another small hotel in town, and they said maybe he goes over there. And there had, they had a a lady who was the chef, mm. and she said just do your job and be quiet and don't do anything stupid, and everything will be fine. And sure enough, I stayed there for three years, did my apprenticeship, and. Uh, after that I left for France
1: when when you think of your own children don't you we think about how we treat a 14 year old how you treat your children I I saw you the night you came in with your children Yeah. and I saw the parenting I saw the love I saw the kindness patience and then you just think what you had been through you know it's interesting we had a young woman who worked for a very famous restaurant in London, and she said that she was once taking soufflés out of the oven, and the chef came over and put a frying pan over her head and said, if these soufflés don't rise, this frying pan's going to be on your head. And I said, what you should have done is put the soufflés back in the oven, go got your coat, left the restaurant, and gone to the police. Yeah. You should go to the police because yeah. that is abuse. But, you know, it's somehow... That idea that somehow because everybody's under pressure in a kitchen, it's okay, it's not okay. It's old-fashioned and it's wrong. Yeah, Yeah.
3: physical abuse, emotional Mm -hmm. abuse is Mm -hmm. totally wrong. And I think uh, one of the lessons I learned from them, I said, I never want to be like my stepfather and I never want to be like the first chef I worked for because I think they did the opposite. And I said, you know, if somebody makes a mistake, somebody does something wrong... I'm going to show them how to do it right. And sometimes it takes more than once. But... You wanna teach people, and I think for me that was really an important part. Yeah. And later on, I opened a cooking school, yeah. so I had to yeah, teach yeah, people. Yeah,
1: no. And so you got on the train and you went to where did you went to France?
3: So then I went on to France. I went to Dijon first and worked mm. in a restaurant called Trois Faisons How and old were you then? I was seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. So I said, I have a son now, seventeen. Mm-hmm. I yeah. said, oh, Wow, if he would go, tell yeah, me tomorrow he's I going guess. to work in Mexico City or somewhere. Yeah. I would say, I don't know, yeah. not by yourself. I'm gonna send a yes. shadow for you. And so I went to France, and then I was working there, and after like a year or so, I started to speak French. I didn't speak it at the beginning, and then we had a party at the restaurant, and uh, it was because we got a star in the guide Michelin.
1: Right. The restaurant had a star.
3: It it just got a new star. It didn't have one, but it got a star. yeah. And then I took one of these red books, looked through yeah. it, and I said, Oh shit there, it's one star, two star, and three yeah. star restaurant. Yeah. So I said, I'm not going back to Austria before I don't work in at least in a two-star, hopefully yeah. in a three-star. So I wrote to Bocuse, to Trois-Gros, to La Serre, La Tourchamp, you know, all these famous three star restaurants. The first one who said yes was Raymond Tully at Beaumagnier in Provence. Oh,
1: Beaumagnier, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's an amazing restaurant, yeah, but he beautiful
1: was... on the hill, yeah. Yeah, I yeah,
3: he see. was the most amazing personality. Yeah. Not only, he started cooking when he was like 50, professional, when he was 50 years old, oh, yeah. but he was so passionate about the ingredients. He had yeah. a lot of land there, yeah. too. He had six gardeners who yeah. brought like the best Cavaillon melon, or strawberries, mm. or... Uh, peas or green beans, mm-hmm. really small, you know. So it was really an amazing experience to have somebody at that age. He was already yeah. 70 years old, but he was so passionate. Sure. And, uh, you know, going back and forth in the dining room. And then he used to come into the kitchen with Elizabeth Taylor. And yeah. all of us young guys looked at her and said, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, one time he came in with Marcello Mastroianni and Catherine Deneuve. Wow. And I said, "Oh Jesus Christ, yeah, I want to feel like him." Yeah, so yeah. I stayed there for two and a half years, and he was the first person, actually, who respected me yeah. and says, "You know what? He made me feel good."
1: Yeah, and, and the ingredient, the idea of the the, the whole thing of the ingredients, yeah. of the farm, of the taking the melon, the best melon. I you know. know. Just-
3: but I grew up on a farm.
1: Yeah, you, you know, did.
3: in a village with 50 people. With farm. two farmers. Yeah, with two farmers next to each other. We got the milk like in the morning. Mm-hmm. I used to go with the can, yeah. go to the farmer. They filled it up and we picked it up two hours later. Mm-hmm. That's how we had the milk. We yeah. didn't even have a refrigerator when wow. I grew up. We didn't have yeah. plumbing in our house. So the water, we had the spring outside. You had to pump it and get the water, bring yeah. it in. Yeah. If we want to take wash ourselves, my yeah. mother had to turn on the stove, put charcoal in it or wood in it. Heat up the water and okay. then we washed ourselves. So when you left Beaumania yeah, yeah. you went to Paris, or did you? So go when to? I left Beaumania, yeah, I went to Monaco and worked oh, at Hotel de Paris in Monaco. Mm-hmm. This big grand hotel, like in the old style, you know, yeah. like every the consomme and the onion yeah. soup and the vegetable had yeah. all be perfectly turned mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. And then I went to see Mr. Tullier and I said, uh, you know, I really don't like to work at L'Hotel de Paris. There, maybe he can help me find another job. And he said, okay. And then he said, I'm going to Paris. He was good friends with the owners of Maxime's at that right. time. And then he found me uh, work at Maxime's in Paris, which was his three-star restaurant at that time.
1: When you went in, what level were you? So I went in you, like went as, in as, as a
3: chef, chef de partie. Yeah. Ended after a year or so as the night chef. So I was responsible for the kitchen after lot. from 10.30 to 1 yeah. in the morning. Wow. So, wow.
1: They kept cooking till one in the morning.
3: Yeah, because each time when Those there was. The I know, when oh. there was a, a show like at the theater, yeah. the opera, they used to come uh, 20, 30 people after the opera, you know, all dressed yeah. perfectly and uh, have dinner at midnight basically. So this
1: was in the 60s, was it? Or that 50?
3: was in the early 70s. Early 70s. Yeah.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
3: A friend of mine said, "You know, if you want to make money, you have to go to America. Uh. You know, in America, you make a lot of money and uh, this and that." And you know, I was always fascinated by the movies, Mm. by the people riding the uh, Mm. big cows and everything, and by John Wayne, the cowboys and everything. So I said, "I have to go and see." And then, at that time, it started also with the hippies in San Francisco Mm. and everything. I said, "I Mm. want to try to smoke some marijuana and Mm. everything," and you couldn't find it in my village, so. I went to America, <laughs> first to New York. To New York. And I didn't like New York. I said, it's nothing like Paris and so forth. And then a friend of mine who owned, uh, Charles Masson, who owned La Grenouille, found me a job in Indianapolis. I love auto racing. Yeah. I'm oh, a big fan of Formula okay. One. Yeah. So when he, they said Indianapolis, the 500 miles of Indianapolis, the most famous race in the world. And I said, I'm going to Indianapolis. So I had almost no Did money left. Did you speak
1: left. English?
3: A little bit. So I took the Greyhound bus from New York to Indianapolis. It lasted like 30 hours or something like that. And I said, shit, that's Indianapolis. It's not." I imagined it being something like Monaco, maybe on the river or something really Uh, beautiful, you know. And it was flat and uh, a few high-rise buildings in the center. And then I said, where is the race? Where is the race? So I went out to Speedway and I said, oh, my God, this is Indianapolis. So I had to stay there. I had no more money left.
1: You had a job in
3: a restaurant there. Yeah, I had a job there. Yeah. I was a chef in a French restaurant. I still remember, I told the manager from New York on the phone, I said, I'm not cooking hamburgers and hot dogs. You didn't have to? Yeah, no. He said, no, 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 we have a nice restaurant. We make dacal orange and we make Dobasol sole and stuff <laughs> like that. So I said, okay, I'm coming. So I stayed a year there, got my green card there because nobody you immigrates to Indiana. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was the only one at the immigration. And then from there... I got a job out here in Los Angeles. Yeah, where? In a restaurant downtown, from yeah. the same company who was running the restaurant in Indianapolis. Yeah, and then, about six months later, I met uh, Patrick Terai. Hmm. He owned Ma maison. and I started to work there in the morning and worked at night downtown in the restaurant called Francois. And uh, because I wanted to make money to open my own restaurant, and then after a while, Patrick said, "Oh, why you don't?" come and be the chef at my maison so as finally I said okay I started there and I get my first paycheck there and I go to the bank it bounced I said oh my god you know I had no idea about the business part so I came back I said there's no money in the bank they can pay me you know it wasn't Amazing. a lot of money a few hundred Amazing. bucks and then uh, he said okay I'll make you a partner in the restaurant wow. so he gave me like 10 percent of the restaurant yeah it's like having ten percent of partner. nothing. Yeah, as I was a, partner. Say a partner, yeah. of
1: a place with a check bounce. Yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah, but that's okay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay. I started to buy food. I went to see, for example, the guy who brought us the fish. Everything yeah. was on COD. You had to pay them cash yeah. when they brought the food. And I said, where is your place? So I went downtown to this fish place. And I saw, for example, there was a famous restaurant called Scandia here. Mm-hmm. They used to buy cooked lobster for their lobster cocktails. I used to buy the lobster shells to make lobster stock yeah. or make uh, lobster bisque yeah. and things yeah. like that. So I had almost no money. So for dollars. Maybe I made soup, I made the yeah. sauce, I made this, I made that. And little by little, the restaurant starts to get better. Oh, yeah. Orson Wells. I remember, was one of my first guests. I always Orson e- Wells. Yeah.
1: Was he a good eater?
3: Yeah, I got I very bet good he eater. Was. Yeah. I bet he was, yeah. <laughs> so, and I always used to, he always used to come early for lunch mm. and say, so what do you make today? What did you make today? So, yeah. and I always tried yeah. to make new things. Yeah. And he was like, I gave him a little taste, like at 11 or so. And then... Uh, Uh, He said, oh, you give me so little only. That's how you're going to serve it. I said, no, i just give you a little taste. He said, well, I want to see how the whole thing is. And so I gave him a a whole plate at 11 o'clock. And then he had lunch at 12.30 with his guests. So... But then, hey. so little by little, all these people came, like Billy Wilder, you know, yeah. who's Australian famous director, and uh, uh, Jack Lemmon, yeah. and so I start to meet all people. And one of the my favorite ones, who just passed away, is Sidney Poitier, yeah. who I, I met at Boumanier. Huh? And I said, I met already some crazy people. Sydney was not crazy, but I remember Peter O'Toole. Yeah, he drank he, a lot. Oh, yeah. my God, he drank mm. a lot. And I had the little motorbike. And the Bomania, they had like different villas where mm. the people had rooms. Mm. And I, I was taking him home to yeah. do his villa on my little motorbike. And he had his foot on the ground. And yeah. I said, hopefully I don't lose him on yeah. the way there. Wow.
1: <laughs> I think that acting and actors and filmmakers and people, artists, love food. You know, yeah. and, they just, and I remember coming to Ma Maison. It was amazing. My brother said, I'm going to take you to the best restaurant, the best restaurant yeah. ever. And we, Richard and I were visiting here after he finished the Pompidou Center. And we went. And it was like... This is the restaurant. It was, it was, uh, no. it was a kind of it, tent it was in a car tent park. With Wasn't it turf. like a parking lot? Yeah, it yeah. used to
3: be a parking lot. Yeah. And so Patrick put a little fence around mm-hmm. and put like a tent on top and then uh, have AstroTurf and plastic mm-hmm. chairs like yeah. you would find in a little cafe somewhere, yeah. you know, uh, with no style at all. But mm-hmm. it became really famous at oh, that yeah. time. Yeah. And you,
1: and was associated with you. Yeah. I mean, it really, even just in the last few days, Zad and I have been talking to Mel Brooks yeah. and we've been talking to Michael Mann and we've been talking to before we talked to Michael Caine and they always describe restaurants ones from the past and they describe it as a place where you went into you saw people you knew you saw you had incredible you know like seats and you knew the waiters but nobody talked about the food Nobody. They talked about restaurants as places that were a scene, but they didn't talk about good food. And I think what you brought to L.A. was, from what everyone says to me, and I believe it myself, is you brought good food. Because I don't think that going to a restaurant meant eating well. It meant doing a deal. It meant being treated well. Do you agree?
3: Yeah, no, no, totally. People didn't know. Like, I used to make people an omelette. Mm. And you know, an omelette the way yeah. I learned in France yeah. that is soft yeah. in the inside yeah. and cooked outside. They used to send it back and said, That's not cooked. That's yeah. not. Oh yeah. my but God. It used to drive me crazy. crazy. Yeah. 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 And often it happened like that. You know, yeah. like I like the fish a little undercooked. Now people eat raw fish and everything yeah, yeah. in every mm. restaurant. Yeah. But I mm. undercooked the salmon. We got beautiful king salmon from uh, up mm. from Alaska. Mm. And. Uh, I cooked it just so it's still a little undercooked in the middle. I still remember one customer came with the plate in the kitchen (laughs) and said, my salmon is not cooked. What's wrong with you? (laughs) I just looked at them. I said, you know what? uh, I cook it for you. Well done. You know, it's like uh, I said, I cannot deal with that, uh, with these people. So it was hard at the beginning. The same way in Indianapolis when I was there, you know, every steak had to be well done. I said, no. I'm going to cook it pink in the inside. I even turned down the light in the the dining room so so they they couldn't see see it.
1: (laughs) I think that when people go to Australia and they say, you know, Melbourne or, you know, London is such a great city now for food and they've got the culture of food. But, you know, you go to Paris and you get in a taxi cab and the driver can tell you how to cook a sea bass. Yeah. You know, you go down a street in the Marmart, which is, you know, this yeah, yeah. ordinary street, and you can smell the bread. I think that's the culture of food. Yeah. You know, not, not whether it's a great food scene, but that it's in... in totally, I'm sure in Austria you had that, in Europe you have it. I don't know why, I, you know, I don't want to make Americans angry. I'm American, but there is not that culture, the culture totally not.
3: of food. Yeah, you know, totally culture, not. Because, yeah. unfortunately, the immigrants came from mm. England... Mm. The immigrants came from Holland and mm. from Germany.
1: Oh, I see. No idea. So
3: they <laughs> yeah, had no maybe. food culture, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, in England. Yeah, uh, yeah now London yeah, has yeah. great restaurants yeah. and everything. But, so in Holland or in Germany maybe... But I think the whole culture is different where you go and get a fresh spaghetti in the morning, where you let the cheese stand so outside like, yeah, so not yeah. out of the refrigerator yeah, and yeah, so forth. So yeah. people didn't know that, you know. And I think, unfortunately, that what happened in America. You had small pockets like in St. Louis. You had a little region with Italians there. They all were together. They barely spoke English, but they cooked the way the food they cooked in southern Italy or in the old time even in New York, you know, little Italy used to be very traditional. Obviously, it has changed 100% now. But I think you had little pockets with immigrants where you actually could get good food. And, uh, you know, traditional food, not fancy food, no truffles or foie gras, but really traditional home-cooked food. So I think, uh, but all in all, all over, you know, like I was in Indianapolis. I mean, it was like crazy. You could, didn't know where to go and eat.
1: No, no. But now, I mean, how do you find comparing... LA now to LA when you came. Do you think it is a radical change?
3: I think LA is one of the most exciting cities. Why? Because we have so many parts of the cities, like from uh, little Tokyo to uh, Koreatown to Chinatown to little India to little Ethiopia. So you have. Little Ethiopia? Yep, totally. It's not too far actually from uh, here. Where you can get really interesting food and, you know, like going to uh, uh, restaurants in Monterey Park, you know, you feel like you're in Hong Kong. Yeah. When you go on a Sunday, families are there, all pick tables and everything. They come around with the dim sum cards and everything. So it's so different, you know. And I remember I went to one the first time. We used to get prawns, uh, shrimps out here from the island. Uh, yeah. We call it Santa Barbara from the Santa Barbara Island. And I always just, I'm going to grill them, but sometimes they get mushy. And then I went to a Chinese restaurant and they made this drunken shrimp where they just dropped them in in the soup or whatever with wine in it and uh, uh, cooked them a little bit. And I said, wow, they're crunchy. They're really good. Why do I try to grill them and everything? It was very hard to keep them uh, that uh, firm, you know. And uh, so I learned and I went more to these restaurants on my days off when I was at Ma Maison or when I opened Spargo. Mm-hmm. And that's all, so then one day I said, you know what, I want to open... You open a Chinese... A, a Chinese restaurant, not a real Chinese restaurant, because I didn't even know how to use a wok. So I said, I'm going to open a restaurant and with French techniques and Chinese ingredients. So we opened Chinoa in 1983.
1: I remember when you opened Spago, the, how shocked everybody was. Yeah. You know, that this French chef, this man who came from Michelin-starred yeah, restaurants, totally. did Maison. And what's going to be Wolfgang's next project? A pizza, a a pizza, pizza restaurant. Pizza, pasta, it was really yeah. shocking to yeah, everyone. I told you, you know, I, it was.
3: Yeah. You know, I remember the editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit magazine yeah. took me for dinner, and my yeah. then uh, girlfriend, really Barbara, my yeah. ex-wife, and uh, she tried to talk me out of what I'm going to do. She said, how can you be a chef like that working at Beaumagnat at Maxims, and opening a pizza place? I said, you know what? I'm going to open a restaurant. I want Great ingredients, but have fun.
1: Have fun. That's the whole thing that you don't have to... The same thing in London when we did the River Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. And why can't you... You know, people come and... I don't care what people wear in my restaurant. I couldn't care if they come with their kids. I don't care if they come in jeans. Do you? It's just like, who cares? It's, you know, you You come here and we treat you... Well,
3: and especially know. in Los Angeles, you yeah. know, where it's warm, the climate is yeah. different, you don't get all pankers. You go to New yeah. York, close to Wall Street, you know, yeah, you have all yeah. pankers, they all have their suits on and everything yeah. is different. Yeah. Here people are, yeah. you know, in the movie business and the uh, record business, they come, uh, you know, mm-hmm. totally different. I remember one time I was very friendly with David Hockney. He actually yeah. did the first cover of my cookbook. Oh,
1: did, he? did he? Yeah. yeah
3: did he? And uh, so he, a friend of mine opened a fancy French restaurant, you know, one with the high chairs mm, and the mm, fancy mm. plates and everything. But you had to wear a jacket. Mm. And David Harkness went and had the sweater on or whatever. It was in the summertime, mm. and yeah. they didn't let him they in. Let him
1: in. Yeah. And
3: he came after back to my and, so and says, yeah. you know what just happened to me? Yeah. I said, What? He said, they didn't let me in. I right. said, should I call them back? He yeah. says, no, I will never go yeah. back there again. My,
1: yeah, Richard, my husband, never wore a tie. Yeah, He would take his children to the Connor to the Claridge's, and they wouldn't let him in. And one time a, a maitre d' said, you know, Mr. Rogers, don't think that we're picking on you, because yesterday we wouldn't let Nuriyev in, as if they were proud of it, you know. Yeah, 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 you yeah, know yeah. Even Nuriyev we wouldn't let in, you know. I that's know. A, I, But somebody, my a friend of mine had a, a, an assistant who worked for you as a front of house manager. Yeah. And she said that people used to come in and say, Bring a bottle of champagne to the table, I'll pay for it now, and say it's from Wolfgang. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the status of be, you know, or yeah. seat me first before somebody oh, my else. God. We had, it's like, crazy you now. It was that crazy. Is crazy. The, yeah. the
3: seating like at the old Spargo was still important because we have these window seats and everybody wanted to seat right. at the window seats. I remember one time, Sami Khan, who was a famous yeah. songwriter, yeah, sure. was there, and uh, he was sitting in the second row, not at the window. And yeah. next door was a table with Alan and Merlin Bergman, who did all the yeah, songs sure. for Baba Streisand.
1: Yeah.
3: And Sami calls me over and says, Wolfgang, I want two because they don't have any <laughs> And uh, how come I have to sit in uh, the second yeah, row? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I no, said, no, no. you get the same you food anywhere. Same I didn't food. know that that yeah. is uh, the important part. So yeah. it, no, We had people storm out of the restaurant, some of them. If they didn't get the table they wanted. I mean, it was also difficult, you know, the people, the yeah. insecurity and saying, yeah, uh, And I, I yeah. remember, like, we had the the head of MGM at that time, was Alan, uh, Daniel Melnick.
1: Yeah.
3: And uh, they set him in the back and... Uh, of the restaurant, it was like Siberia, and I go over. Uh, then you know what? We have a table up front. Uh, if you want a better table up front, he said. What do you mean a better table? I said. Yeah, well, on the window. He says, you know. Wherever I sit, is the best table, so yeah. I don't care where it
2: That's is. That's nice. No, <laughs> yeah. I
1: agree. I've seen that with people who... People come in sometimes and say, I want the best table. And I guess there is no best table yeah. because, you know, Lucy and Freud like that one, but then somebody else like that one. And, you know, the idea of... Uh, but do you think it's better now? Do you think I think it's a so, little better. But yeah, there are still some
3: restaurants when you have booths and things like that where they say, okay, I want the first booth, or I want yeah. this and that. Or, like, I remember one time at Chinois, it was... In the 80s, too, when I had, uh, Elizabeth Taylor came with some people. And we had one guest who comes all the time, always sat on their table, too. And they saw Elizabeth Taylor, like, four tables down. And then they came back the next day, the next time, next week. We set them on the regular table. They said, we don't want this table. We want the table over there. it's <laughs> yeah,
1: crazy. So when you, when you cook... yeah. Uh, you have a son who's a chef, yeah. yeah. So did he did he become a chef because he was influenced by your cooking at home? Do you cook at home? Yeah,
3: I cook at home. Yeah, less now since the kids are gone. Yeah. Really, you know. So, but uh, Byron, who is my second son, and uh, he always was interested in cooking. And even when he went to high school here at Howard Westlake, they had a chemistry class, yeah. And he wanted to do a molecular gastronomy class. With the chemistry class, so he said, "Okay, we can do different things. You know, learn chemistry, but with food." Yeah. And yeah. so he was really into this whole thing. You know, like the stuff with Adrián did and uh, all the things. So I think I want him to hopefully take over one day because it is like a family it business. Is a family you know. Business, yeah.
1: Yeah. But if you think about family and you think about food and you think about your mother being a pastry chef and and the suffering that you went through in your early days, I mean, it's it's heart rendering when you think of food as comfort is there food that you would reach for for
3: comfort you know it's often i reach for simple things you know like uh, if it's in the morning it might be just some good oatmeal or something yeah, like that yeah. you know and obviously sometimes i still feel like eating a goulash or a wiener schnitzel from my childhood, from your childhood. yeah and uh, that's still popular and I think for me, still the simpler things are the better ones. I love vegetables, I love fruits, so that's why I still go to the farmer's market yeah. and so forth, you know. So I think to me, food is such an important part of life because I think it's one of the only times in this modern world where we actually can sit together and talk. And enjoy the time. I think enjoy the food, enjoy and have a good time. To me, it's the most important part. That's why I think a restaurant should be fun. You know, a restaurant, it should be a place you enjoy. If you want to go to a church somewhere and pray, you go to the church, you know. Or... If the chefs want to impress you and says, how did I do? I said, you know what, this thing is not about you. This thing is about us. You know, this thing is about the guests in the restaurant. So mm-hmm. I think that's a big difference. Mostly what I hear is the male chefs are really more egocentric and they oh. think it's about them, the right. food, whatever. How did they perform, basically, mm-hmm. you know? And a women chef often will say... I hope you liked my food. I hope you enjoyed your time at the table, you know, instead of feeling, oh, it's about me. And I always said, you know, to me, the most important part is that the guests are happy when they leave. They can't wait to come back, make a reservation, maybe already on the way out. And I think that's why we are in business for 40 years. And, like, I come here to the Bel Air Hotel. I know almost everybody. Yeah. I go I to Spargo, I know the people. Yeah. So I think it's a nice way for me. Yeah. I almost feel like I'm going to a party every yeah. day.
1: Yeah. I, we, we have a great job. And I think that I always say I want people to feel better when they leave than when they came in. And I certainly feel better now leaving you than yeah. when I came in because uh, yeah. we had such a good talk. Thank you.
3: We cannot eat right now, No.
1: Mm. Okay.
3: (laughs) Smoked salmon pizza for breakfast. So we've just
1: been brought. Can you tell me what we've just been brought?
3: We have here a little smoked salmon pizza, uh, I think, which is a staple at Spargo, too. And everybody says, uh, oh, I made it for them. One time at Spargo, we had smoked salmon, brioche, and uh, dill cream or whatever, like a very traditional yeah. way. One day we ran out of bread. <laughs> and then I said, what am I going to do? Yeah. Uh, so I just cooked the pizza dough in the oven, cut it in slices, and served it with a plate of smoked salmon. And then I said, you know what, I'm just going to put it all together myself. So I cooked the pizza dough, put the dill cream on it, uh, put the smoked salmon, and it, put a little caviar on top. And then I cut it and I said, wow, this is That's really lovely. perfect. It's like the crispy crust yeah. and it's warm and they, yeah. s- they smoked salmon on top. And I said, all I need is a glass of champagne and then You're I'm done. good.
2: The River Cafe Lookbook is now available in bookshops and online. It has over 100 recipes beautifully illustrated with photographs from the renowned photographer Matthew Donaldson. The book has 50 delicious and easy-to-prepare recipes, including a host of River Cafe classics that have been specially adapted for new cooks. The River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for cooks of all ages. Ruthie's Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomai Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's better, H E L P.com.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board.